All right. Well, I get the uh, distinct privilege of introducing our speaker this morning, um, someone who uh, has become a dear friend over the years, uh, had lots of windshield time with him over the years. Um, the guy can put 50,000 miles on a car faster than anybody I know. Raleigh's, Raleigh's coming close to you, though, Lynn. Uh-oh. And Doug Fultz is right behind you, I'm sure. But... Um, uh, you know, Lynn's uh, dedicated his entire life to the Independent Christian Church, uh, planted a church uh, in uh, northwest Indiana, Town and Country Christian Church, which today is now called LifeWell with Danny Cox. Um, then uh, Lynn went on to Joplin to lead a, a major church there. Uh, then he kind of quasi-retired, uh, then served a mission in the Philippines, uh, and then we we picked him off and uh, led uh, our uh, Midwest, Southwest, whatever region, you know, I think a third of the United States, and uh, did a fantastic job, then decided to retire again. But the church came calling again, and uh, Lynn uh, faithfully took over First Christian Church of Webb City, down to probably 20, 30 people. Uh, revitalized the church, expanded the church, and I think today they're probably going to probably tell us, correct my number, but probably run 120, 150, and uh, also uh, currently serves as the mayor of Webb City, uh, Missouri, uh, has served faithfully there now, I think, on his second term, maybe even third, uh, but uh, great servant, great friend, uh, Lynn, welcome, and we look forward to your words of wisdom this morning. Thank you, thank you. So, Doug, uh, I am in my third term as mayor, and uh, that that's a, a great opportunity, and the church I'm serving is conveniently just across the alley from uh, that church, and uh, the intro statements to the subject that Renee and I have discussed about today really plays into that. Uh, Murray Hollis and I had talked for some time, wouldn't it be fun to do something together? And so this opportunity came up to a small church that had been on some hard times. And uh, we just dove into that thing and uh, had so much fun. Of course, Murray, <coughs> excuse me, passed away. <coughs> Pardon me. Murray passed away. And uh, so there I'm, I'm trying to replace Murray now. But that church has grown, and uh, that ties into the introductory thoughts here, that knowing the demographics of a city like Webb City, it's in the Joplin metro area, and uh, it had grown in the last census almost at a 20% rate. And Webb City growing at that rate, we needed to find out who they were. And we discovered that there was no single demographic that grew at a pace that out grew the other demographics. And so the, the millennials, uh, we've got great churches around us in Christchurch, Orinoco, the Carville Church, College Heights, and so on. And they're doing a great job with millennials, young people. And we lovingly and laugh at, at what's there. And I served for many years at Orinoco, so I know. And it could be called easily rock and roll church. And it's, it's that kind of church. Then they do an unbelievable job at reaching unchurched people. But in our demographic study, we found that the next highest group of people coming to our town were baby boomers and not just the younger end, the older end. The cost of living in southwest Missouri is very appealing. They're coming in from 
very liberal places. They're coming in from Minnesota. They're coming in from California. They're coming in from lots of places looking for a place with good cost of living and, and a pretty solid conservative value. We discovered as well that they were largely de-churched. This older group had been out of church for a number of years, not just their move here, and felt like the church had moved past them. Or as one of our stories, a man had dropped out of church in 1976 because he got mad about something that he didn't even remember what it was, decided when his wife died that he needed to get back in church because his clock was ticking. And uh, the church is just full of people with that kind of story. Well, that leads into uh, maybe having more funerals than, well, I certainly won't have too many weddings. And uh, so that growth and the number you had, Doug, is pretty accurate, about 150 people, mostly in the baby boomer, some even older in the traditionalist category. So Renee and I talked about where does the role of a good funeral fit into a church? We used to laughingly talk about a church could grow if you have a few strategic funerals. Not necessarily a, a lie, but I like to think because of funerals, you can also cause the church to grow because you're making relationships. So I just want to break my thoughts down into three very simple categories, and then we'll do some, some Q&A. But spiritually, what about doing a funeral? Well, I believe that they're open doors and they build relationships. So when asked to do a funeral now, and I've always had this philosophy along the way, and I, I like to think that I do everything I do because of a ministry philosophy. They are open doors to relationships. And very often you won't know anybody in the family. And too often you won't even know the person that you're doing the funeral for. And so I like to, and I've really tried to hone my skills at this, how to do a good family interview and find out what you can about the person and the best part of that is to find out what I can about the people in the family. And I do that just a couple of ways. And I'm not going to talk much about that. You guys are all good at that. But I just simply ask them to give me a word to describe this person. And then I ask them, introduce this person to me as you would if they were sitting here today. And that gives the family an opportunity to open up, to talk, to let me in on their family. And I use a lot of what they say in that funeral as if I had become a friend for a very long time. And that opens up doors. And we have many people who will start coming to church because of that kind of open door. That leads me to a professional look at this. When I was at Christ Church for Inogo, it had grown large and it was over 2000 people when I left and I was not doing many funerals. Those were being done by pastoral care guys on staff, and then I realized I was missing out on that because I was becoming more and more distant to our people when they were in pain. And I didn't like that. And even then, I fought my way back into doing those or at least having a strong part in that funeral so that I could touch a family when they were in need. Uh, I owe this little illustration to John Walker from Blessing Ranch as he introduced the thought of a minister's role in a church is to be a prophet, priest, and king in the order of Jesus. So as the church grew, I became more of a king, and that's not an arrogant or a pompous statement. It's just the reality. A king controls a lot of the way an organization works, and it became very, very organizationally minded in what I did. And then secondarily, 
the prophet is the one that has the owns that Sunday communication where I was the major face and the voice of the church on that big stage. But what I slowly lost was the priest, where that one that would hold their hands when they're hurting, the one that would uh, cry with them when they were in pain, the one that could do all of those things. And so I have someone joining me right now. This is Ava Grace, granddaughter, number eight. So say hi to everybody, Ava, then you can go back. Wave to them. Okay, <laughs> see ya. Then uh, that priest was one thing that I really was missing. And so then in this church, it's very easy to accomplish all of those. So my first word of encouragement to you is, as your church grows, never give up the change of a priest to somebody else. Let them help. You may even have somebody help you with the role of king, and sometimes our executive pastors do that, and I hope I'm not offending anyone, but then sometimes our role becomes quite different as we just have to manage executive pastors, and that's not always easy. But with that understood, what does it mean to then move that into a practical venue? We just had a funeral for my mother-in-law. She was 96 years old and, and a wonderful saint of the Lord. And we went through the funeral arrangements and found out that, and we knew this, but the average cost of a funeral today is twelve dollars to $15,000. There is a growing acceptance of cremation, which brings that cost considerably down. And what families have figured out in the last couple of years, due probably to COVID more than anything is, they don't really need a funeral director. They can get along with their church and a church fills that role. Now, we can argue about whether that's good or bad, but they're unwilling to spend that much money <clears throat> and then be told that they can only do it online. And so they've opted for other things. So I would challenge every preacher to figure out how to manage, how to become a good host for a funeral. Churches uh, are doing volunteers. Many churches, larger churches, I know Christ Church of Oranogo has hired someone with the express job title of managing these guests that they have and taking care of arrangements for things like funerals and weddings. And we've used uh, that facility before for a funeral and th they do a great job. So how do we do that? How do we pull that off? I think we need to learn that it is the church's job to help people. I go back to an old cliche, the marrying and burying that we used to laugh and make fun of. I think that is a responsibility of the church to do that in a really competent manner because it opens up doors for ministry and that priesthood of all believers. So don't just give that off to someone else. I, we learned at my mother-in-law's funeral that there are many funeral uh, homes now that are charging extra if the church is the facility that's used for the funeral. They'd rather do it in their own facility because it's easier. I would um, I challenge you in a, a nice, healthy way to do pushback on that. Even if it's extra, I think that there's something valuable about having that funeral in the church building to give that sense of belonging to the family, to a place that they can come when they're in grief or have a crisis of their own. And so we really push on that here and I have a great relationship with the funeral directors. 
they don't charge extra here for doing it in the church. But I just think that's a really, really healthy thing to do. As we, uh, now I'm not going to tell you all how to do this in your local circumstance, but in ours, there's no charge for the facility for a wedding or a funeral. And the reason is because we want to make that a gift to people that are hurting and not be viewed in the same light as a banquet hall or some sort of event center or even the funeral home that the church is able to offer a gift to people that are hurting. Now, our church has a, a great, there's some great hospitality people. We offer meals to the family as well after or before the funeral. And that meal is also not charged to the folks. And so <clears throat> just however we can be hospitable, we want to make our church feel like their home when they're hurting. And that then they have a muscle memory. I used to coach a lot of basketball and we learned about muscle memory. And you do a certain thing, certain way, number of times, you'll do it again and again and again. So we want to leave a funeral as that opportunity for people to create muscle memory that when they have a need, this is the place they come. Well, that's kind of an overview of our spiritual relationships, our professional understanding of who we are as pastors, and then the practical side of how we can facilitate some things for people in churches. How do we follow up on it is a, a final thing, and, and uh, I don't think any of us are very good or as good as we'd like to be at making those follow-ups so that we can claim, wow, I get 90% of all those families in church after a funeral. Wouldn't that be, uh, Renee, that's who you ought to talk to next is somebody that could actually make that boast. Uh, they're very hard. And you normally wait for the next crisis in their life for them to remember who it was that ministered to them in another crisis. And then you can maybe get them into church. But that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. And uh, I'm not sure, Renee, are you going to facilitate the Q&A at this point? Yeah, I would love to just have a time where we can talk if there's comments or questions. You and, you know, Lynn, this, this group takes a minute to unmute themselves and figure out what their question is. So we're going we're gonna to give them a moment because I know they're going to be great participators in this conversation because it's something that they are all doing or have done or that's a part of their church life. So I know they're interested in this topic. So maybe I'll start off while they're thinking. I'll start off with a question. Um, is it, is funerals and weddings a place where you see people come to know Jesus as their savior? Is that, is that one of the main pathways to a relationship with Jesus for people? Is that something that you've seen or experienced in all your years of um, leading a church, Lynn? Let me, I'll say it this way, that I'm not the hellfire and brimstone preacher at a funeral that offers an invitation at the end of the service. I have known more people to be turned off at the church from that than I have that have accepted Christ from that. So I see it as being not a format, going back to the, the prophet, priest, and king. I do, not, I do not see it as a good format for prophet, but I see it as a great format for priest. So I give lots of comfort. I talk about God being there, even in an unsaved family. God is here for you in your time of need. He can comfort you. And his family is big enough to absorb you, come to his family. I leave that. So my philosophy is to leave it as a seed planting opportunity, where then I do make it an opportunity to see them in a town of our size, 15,000. I'll run into those families either at a, a football game, at Walmart, somewhere, 
and I make it a point to address them and let them know, hey, the church uh, really is still there. Come back sometime. I, I'm not shy about that. Just Sunday, we had one of the men and his wife who've now come back to church because I did a funeral for one of their unsaved relatives. They themselves were not church attenders. They have now started coming on a semi-regular basis and are ready to make their commitment to Christ. So I would say in my category, they are baby boomers. They are even older edge traditionalists, and they're not going to respond well to that kind of a prophetic sermon, but they will respond to love, and it will take a little time for those seeds to grow. Thanks. We have a couple questions in the chat room. I'll read them to you um, from Don Headley. Uh, do you also offer pastoral counseling, grief share, grief counseling, things like that as well? The answer is that is not in a formal basis, but in an informal basis. And one of the things that I do, and we're ready to start another one soon, is a good grief class for those that have lost, lost mates. Because in our circumstance, there will be, with each of our funerals, there's probably a widow or a widower that's created. And so then we have an eight-week small group, for lack of a better word, but it's hosted at the church where we go through a study on good grief and let them get to know other people in their circumstance. So the answer to that, I guess, is yes, but uh, we do it from a very targeted perspective. And who leads that class or organizes it? Me. And that doesn't have to be the case, depending on the side of your church. But right now, with Murray deciding that he needed to be in heaven, uh, there's me in about every category right now. So, Another question here from Sting, Steve Wingfield. Uh, I've had several people have had, sorry, I've had several people with large funerals in our facilities and then grieving. Anyway, okay. Sorry, Steve, maybe you want to unmute and ask it. I'm not reading it right. Sorry. He's working on his unmute button. I can try again. Let me, you want me to read it, Renee? Yes, please. Okay, I, I've had several people have large funerals in our facility, and then grieving, they associate the building with where they wept and said goodbye to their loved one. I've even seen people avoid the church afterwards. Any ways to help avoid the, that negative association? I, I've had the same thing, and they will use that as an excuse for a while, and what I do personally is try to make sure that if I see that they're really grieving and, and attaching it to a place is make opportunities to visit with them outside of the church and, um, and make sure that I attach their grief somewhere else. For an example, one family I just recently uh, met with at length at an off hour in Longhorn Steakhouse. And we had a nice meal together and they were able in that off hour to have more privacy and then they could you know, we could talk it out. And that was, Steve, an attempt to kind of disassociate their grief from just the church, but uh, to the rest of life. Great feedback. 
Hey, Lynn. We, we had to uh, rework our facility use report, um, our, the one that we post on the website for people to reserve the building for certain events and things like that. Obviously, we, we followed uh, kind of what you laid out there. We don't charge for funerals and things like that. But one of the issues we're running into is we've had a couple of funerals come in. And between the funeral and the reception, they're here for about seven hours. And do you do you put time limits or anything like that on uh, trying? Because we we've got a team standing by ready to clean it up and get it ready for Sunday, and we can't seem to get people out the door. And so, is there a way of handling that? Well, I think I think there is, and I what I tend to do is is uh, try to make the funeral director the bad guy. And uh, if you would go to your local funeral homes, they will charge based on number of hours, and so. I try to encourage people, listen, here's what you would have done if you're at the funeral home, you get two hours before the service or you get the night before for two hours. And then being you know, a salesman, I try to make it sweeter and say, listen, we're not going to hold you to that. We'd like you to know you've got up to three hours if you'd like to do that. But learn from the funeral directors. There's a reason that they have those hours listed. And, and there's no reason that we can't impose some of the same thing. And people have never responded negatively for that, especially if you're doing it for free. I'd love for you guys to also just maybe unmute and share different experiences you guys have had or things you've learned from uh, leading funerals or having funerals in your facilities. Um, what different approaches or thoughts or of course questions for the group, very open to, to any of those things. Just would love to hear from you. Well, they're thinking on that, Renee. One more thought. Yeah. <clears throat> the funeral directors right now, and I'm gonna be very negative and I apologize in advance. They're mostly corporate owned. What we're used to growing up was family owned businesses where father, son, grandson, it just stayed in the family. Those don't really exist very much anymore. Corporations own entire masses of these homes and they just have employees. We went through that with my mother-in-law and it was very impersonal, very, let's put it this way. If any of our churches did what they did for $12,000, we would all be fired. Uh, they couldn't even get a program printed in time and it was just embarrassing. And they didn't know how to greet people. Nobody is better at any of this than the church. And so when a funeral director is involved, do not hesitate to get yourself in the lead role of telling them how that works in your church and that you will take charge of all of that and just let them stand there and pass out their little brochures if that's what they want to do and understand they're going to get all the money and you may get a gratuity of 50 bucks, but that's just the way it works. Don't expect them today to be as professional and caring as they were 50 years ago. Hey, hey, Lynn, Lynn, you, uh, go ahead, Brandy. Lynn, when you do a funeral for some family that you don't have a relationship with, a uh, funeral home, or, or somebody calls you up and says, hey, could you do a, a funeral for this family? Uh, what kind of, do you follow up with them after the funeral? And, and if so, how do you do that? 
Yes, I, I've always made that a practice. And usually it starts with a phone call. And sometimes it, 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 when it just have to feel out the family, sometimes it's nothing more than a text and just telling them that I was thankful for the opportunity to get to know their family and would look forward to seeing them again at a future date. Then I see how that kind of unfolds and, and take it from there. And as, as Doug can attest, uh, not much in life I like to do more than sitting down with somebody over a cup of coffee at one of our local coffee shops. And if I see someone in the family that, that I've, I've prayed about and they just I sense that there's an issue there, I'll pursue them and say, hey, listen, uh, maybe after this is over, we get together for a cup of coffee. And I've not been turned down on that yet. And so then I think it's my responsibility to make sure that happens and not just put it in their lap to call me. Lynn, what's the toughest uh, funeral that you've been asked to do? How, I mean, uh, somebody maybe unsaved, somebody, family of a pagan that says, hey, we need you to bury our loved one. He died X, Y, Z. Yeah. How's, how do you handle that? Probably some people accept, uh, expect me to say that my mother-in-law's funeral was the hardest, and I did that one, and uh, she was the only mom I'd had since 2011, and uh, prior to that, she was just the godly example, and, and uh, what a person she was, and, and Doug's been in her home, and he knows that, that she's just that lady. That was not a hard funeral. She was living on her own until she was 95 and only had her last year of down going down. And so that's pretty much a, a great story. And we just rejoiced that she was in heaven. So that was, that was not a hard one. And it gets back to your question, Russell, what about the pagan? I would say my hardest funeral recently has been Murray's. And that's certainly not because he was a pagan, but because he was my partner in ministry so deeply that for what we were doing in our relationship, it's like my ministry right arm got severed. And that was a personal grief, not grieving on behalf of Murray because he'd won the eternal victory. So it had a different, the personal connection made that one more difficult. And I don't struggle for whatever reasons the Holy Spirit does it. I don't struggle doing funerals for pagans. And I've learned to read and read and read everybody's funeral sermon everywhere that I can find them. Wayne Smith had the book put together by Barry Cameron that many people have floating around with tons of funeral sermons. And if you're ready for some good poems and a couple of good stories, Wayne's got them for every kind of funeral going. But when you read good sermons for unsaved people that really keep that attention focused on the people that are there that are looking for an answer, um, I, I kind of enjoy those opportunity, enjoy maybe a bad word, but I, I don't find those hard opportunities. I find them pretty satisfying, really, that I now have an audience that I don't get on any other occasion that's almost 90% unsaved. And so, like, get back to your question, Renee, I don't lay the whole load of the gospel on them, but I sure introduce them to Jesus, the lover of their soul. That resource that you're talking about with um, with Wayne and and is that something that's available or published somewhere or? Doug can answer that, but I think it's something Barry put together himself and just passed out to people uh, by the uh, you know kind of the truckload. I've got a copy of it. Yeah, Maybe I know it's something we can scan and put on as a PDF on our Facebook group for all you guys. It's, it's just a, a great reference. Yeah, I'll see if I can find my copy. 
and uh, we'll get that scanned and put on uh, one of these future calls for people to download. Renee, you know, Barry may still have that just in a PDF format. I don't know how he did it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get our hands on it and make it available to you guys. Rob? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, good topic. Um, those of you that know, I, I followed a guy and got to watch him for 30 years by the name of Glenn Kirby. And he was a master at what's been talked about here today. And next to our school, our school's our number one evangelism. But funerals for Glenn Kirby was absolutely number two. So I think um, if, if it's on your radar, but you got to have the, the spiritual gift in this too. <laughs> you know, I don't think just any pastor could do uh, this, but I think it's also an excuse to say that you can't. Um, but he was very intentional and it was not the, uh, the actual funeral service. Like you said, Len, that's not the opportunity, you know, where you go and preach the gospel and shove it down people's throats. It was meeting with the people beforehand. Uh, he would always, even if the funeral wasn't at our church, he would meet at his office. So they got familiar with our campus and got really personal and didn't just fill in a name in a pre-written, you know, funeral um, service. So I think if you're intentional, it really is amazing. Uh, we can mourn with people that mourn and, and be there and be hope. But the one thing I would also say is being intentional means also before death. So have a have a ministry to your local hospital because that's what we've continued. You know, we don't have a chaplain at our local hospital a mile away and we've become gold for them because they can't, they're not gifted. <laughs> they're not there to help support people. So, um, and oftentimes when we get called, they're going to die. So it's just a natural way to keep that going. I don't know if I'm making sense on that, but Glenn Kirby definitely, definitely was an incredible example to where I'll give you a real life example. Three days before COVID officially hit, what was it? March 16th, a couple of years ago, I got a call coming home um, from golfing on my day off. And the office said the hospital needs you there right now. Normally I would put it on somebody else, but I ended up there and 19 year old girl died while FaceTiming with her mom and dad, getting them ice cream. And, uh, walked through that whole process with them to here we are two years later and they just joined our church, you know, uh, a week ago. So I think, I think being intentional and loving and all those things I think are important. I think that's great input, Rob, and, and you bring up the, the perspective of a team. So not just you, but other people on your team are able to do it and you guys are able to, to manage that. Um, well together. Is that what I'm hearing and understanding? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So your staff is part of that, but also volunteers. Volunte mm -hmm. You just teach volunteers how to make uh, funerals their thing, you know, because some people really have that gift of compassion <laughs> that really love doing that. Yeah. I, I imagine that COVID has really changed the routine of funerals for so many of you guys. And I'm curious if there's any input kind of coming out of, of that, of those couple years. Is there anything that you've learned or changed for the better or for the, maybe there's things for the worse that you would like to change back in regards to how COVID has affected funerals in your church? Let me say this, Renee, for us, the church was far quicker to come out of the box than funeral homes. For whatever reason, 
they hung in there with rules that we weren't abiding by. And as the mayor that I wouldn't even enforce or even state, we went out on a limb and said, we will not as a city do any face mask rules and defied anybody's order to cause it. But the funeral homes, for whatever reason, went full tilt on this thing and wouldn't let more than 20 or 30 people come. And it opened the door for the churches. And uh, the churches went back far quicker than the funeral homes did to have normal life and normal grieving. So what I watched happen at a few funerals and funeral homes was they discouraged anybody from hugging. They discouraged anybody from, not, from wearing a mask. They discouraged all these natural things that we do when we grieve. They said, keep your distance and we'll have this service. And then then they're surprised when it gave them a financial nightmare, which is what's happening in the funeral industry. And so we found now two things with that. You don't even have to use a funeral home. The cost of being cremated runs about $850 to $900. The crematory will come pick up the body and do the, all the documents for death, the entire thing the funeral home does, the crematory does, and then you get the body back in whatever form that you've decided, and it's $850. And then the church, this is where we've come in, ha has done the entire thing. And so the families began looking at it and saying, okay, $850 or 15000 And if I do that route, we're not even going to get to have a family gathering. We're going to have to be distanced. We're going to have to wear masks. We're going to have to be treated like. And so they moved to the churches kind of for obvious reasons. Well, <clears throat> then back to the, to the question that what we wanted at the end of the day was, and gets back to what Kirby was good at doing, and I've heard it. I was introduced recently as the pastor of a church that knows how to love people. There's what you want to hear. So we go out of our way to serve them, even if at times it's a bit more irritating than not, because they don't have the social graces to know what to do in a church and so on. And you've got to put up with some of that. But then they, they know they've been loved. The funeral homes during COVID did not go out of their way to make sure people knew they loved them during their deepest time of grief. And we're good at that as a church. All of our churches are. So, so run with your strength and let the funeral homes continue to cut their throats. Yeah, quick story on that. Um, my grandfather was a mortician for 50 years uh, in a small town in Iowa, was the only, only um, uh, mortuary in the entire county. In 50 years, he buried over 3,500 people, three generations of families. And uh, amazing statistic, my grandfather, being a mortician, was left in seven different families' wills because he cared about families and people. And uh, when he died, um, he had the largest funeral in the history of the county. And he was a mortician. Um, but, you know, I think, Lynn, you're right with the, the corporate world. So when, when my grandfather retired, it had been the only funeral home in the entire county for 50 years. And today there's three corporate mortuaries in that town. And uh, I think that's what's really hurt the funeral in industry. It's no longer a personal family relationship oriented industry. And I think that's where the great opportunity comes for the church. 
Um, you know, as a kid, my cousins and I played hide and seek in the casket room. That's that was a little little known fact about me. I spent two years uh, in the summers setting graves, um, you know, picking the flowers up at the church, running them out to the grave site, setting it up, you know, doing all the, the stuff. And so I've seen a lot of funerals in my life. And um, but the great thing, you know, quick, I, I have to tell this story because, you know, my grandfather was a unique human being. Um, we were attending uh, Mission Vio Christian Church. And a lady found out that I was born in Jefferson, Iowa. And she asked me, well, who's your relatives? And when I told her who my grandparents were, you could just see her face lit up. You know, she said, yeah, uh, your, your grandfather, she didn't say buried my entire, you know, family history. She said he was always there to help my family during a tough time. And, and I think that's what's missing, and that's where the church can really, really, uh, really, really step in. So um, I've only done one funeral uh, in my lifetime. I did my father-in-law's funeral. It was a very difficult one. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. He was 90. So the funeral, it was only about 40 people because the older people get, the less people they have attend their funerals. And... Um, he was not a believer, uh, but he did a lot of great things in his life. World War II vet. Uh, I mean, you can go down the list of the great things. Uh, you know, was was an electrical contractor on over 45 nuclear power plants in the United States. Uh, was a great human being, but he, he never knew Jesus. So I kind of used that opportunity to share my faith uh, in our family's faith during that time. And, um, there was lots of open testimonies, but, you know, I think it's a very integral part of the church, Lynn, and you're right. You're, you're hitting on a lot of threads that we as the church need to serve our communities better, uh, because of really where the corporate funeral homes have taken, uh, they've, they've taken out, um, They've just taken so much out of uh, the funeral and the celebration of life that um, it's all about money. Um, so I really appreciate everything you're doing, Lynn, and, and how you're leading in this great way. Well, I'd love to open the floor for any more comments or questions, and then I'm just getting Dr. West ready here after this one more comment or question, if there are any, then we'll go ahead and segue to, to Dr. West, because I know you have comments and questions. I think after listening, the, one of the great takes, takeaways is kind of accidental, is uh, that we, we as lead pastors got to make sure the church doesn't become funeral homes, where we lose our personal touch, and we become corporate, and we stop loving. Um, because we could, we're we're just as vulnerable to to those very things that we're talking about with the funeral homes. Really valid point. And Lynn, you're right on. I I loved your idea of uh, hiring somebody for this position too. We've got an older uh, gentleman in our church who lost his mother and father within about a two week span, and unfortunately became a an expert in the industry. And I told him it was his ministry. And, and what we do now is as we have people who um, lose family members, 
we tell them that this gentleman's available to walk with them. And because they're in such an emotional um, uh, state, they're, they're distressed, they're distraught, they're, they're being told by a funeral home, they have to buy the gold plated casket or whatever. And, and so what he does is he walks alongside with, if they want, he walks alongside them and will actually explain to them exactly what they need. They don't need this. This is another option that, you know, and he really, he really protects the family. And it's been phenomenal to watch the response that we've gotten from families because of this one gentleman, he had no, no ties to ministry. And I told him, this is your ministry, man. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And even to the point to where several years ago, we lost my mother-in-law and we needed to transport her through three states to get her to her burial place. And the funeral home was telling us that it was illegal for us to transport her, that the funeral home had to charge us so many thousands of dollars. And so I called him quick and he said, absolutely not. The law says you can transport her if you want. And so when we presented that to them, they said, well, you have to have you know a, a transport vehicle. We went down and rented a van Two of my nephews felt it was an honor for them to drive her all the way to her burial ground, and it saved the family thousands and thousands of dollars. And this is this is what he does today. And so, uh, somebody like that in your church uh, can be a great ministry to the families within in the church, especially those that don't have uh, the finances to be able to do what they think they need to do to bury somebody. So I, I love I love this. I think this is a fantastic opportunity. To love on families in our churches. Could I make a suggestion to kind of add to this? I, I've been a licensed funeral director. I won't hold that against you, Lynn. <laughs> you don't hold it against me. But uh, Lynn got us our loan at the church. I, he's real special to us. But uh, one of the things that you can suggest to people is if they're cash strapped and they're still wanting to have that traditional looking service, they can do a cremation with a rental casket and uh, cut several thousand dollars off the cost. And if, if that's something that's important to them and they, they, they need that, that's a good thing to do. We had that for my daughter who passed away just a little over a year ago. And uh, it, it worked really nice. It was it was really good. People got to go buy the casket and do the goodbye, and then they had the uh, the cremation following that. Just an idea. God bless. <laughs>